Well, we're continuing our... Oh, you know what? It's Mother's Day. Come on, look at somebody and smile at them. Tell them Happy Mother's Day. Huh? And so we have got a Mother's Day video for all the mothers. But, you know, uh, something they do in Russia that I want to do is recognize just all the ladies 18 and up. But I know it's special, but today we got gifts for everybody. But we have a short video that we're going to watch right now. And let's enjoy this video on Mother's Day. Today is a beautiful day of celebration. A day to honor the women who've shaped us, nurtured us, and walked us through life. It's a day to say thanks to all the moms. Moms with toddlers tearing through the house, and moms whose babies have moved away. Moms who are doing this all by themselves, and moms who loved child in need. Moms who have suffered unimaginable loss and moms whose children are moms themselves. For all the times your love made things better and the moments your wisdom made things clear. For the way you lived is an example so we could see Jesus through you. For each and every memory that has lit the path we walk, we say thank you. Whether this is a day of celebration, reflection, or heartache, know that you are loved. Happy Mother's Day. Well, we've got gifts for all the mothers and all the ladies 18 and over, actually. But, uh, you know, maybe your mom wasn't that this and that. But guess what? You wouldn't be here without your mother. So we're going to pass out the gifts uh, and 18 and older, all the pretty ladies get a gift today, and you better own it, ladies, that you say, I'm pretty. So come on. So if you haven't noticed, we've got two chairs up here, because this is a totally different service today. It's different than maybe you've ever been to, and that's okay. And so today, we're talking about heroes of faith, and in the Bible, there was a lady named Ruth, and her story's in there. She was a hero of faith. So was her mother-in-law, Naomi. She was a hero of faith. Well, how can women be heroes of faith? Of course. Man, women were judges, women were prophets, and there's even one in the New Testament that was an apostle. <gasps> Wasn't one of the 12. Come on, we'll shock you a little bit. But we're talking about uh, it's Mother's Day, so I thought we'd do this. And so uh, the real, real quick rundown, uh, Elimelech was her husband, uh, Naomi's husband. And th there was a famine in Bethlehem. Because they weren't serving God, and so they went to Moab, and Moab was not a place to be. And so they was looking for food, and, and so they went to Moab, and tragedy struck. Uh, Naomi's husband died, and her two sons had married some Moabite women. It's not as bad as, uh, anyway, I was going to say with the lights, but anyway, no. <laughs> but, but Moabite women, and, and her sons died. So now she has these two daughter-in-laws, and it's her. And they're starving. And years go by, and they go back to Bethlehem. And, but I've got two ladies that are going to come and tell the story and share some of their insights, insights in the story. So I want them to come. Michelle and Marty are coming. Y'all give them a hand clap. And so they're going to begin. Does anybody need sermon notes? Everybody's good? One on the back, any over there? All right. 
we're going to turn them loose and let them get in to the store today. All right, I'm, I'm on. Are you on? <laughs> I'm on. Am I, can you all hear us? All right, so we are so excited to be here this morning. We have been uh, preparing and praying, and I'm just really excited to be up here with my dear, dear friend, Marty, that I love so very much, and I learn so much from her every day. It's just a, just a big pleasure for me. But our big thing this morning is that Naomi and Ruth are heroes in the Bible, and heroes don't always wear capes, right? And they certainly, just like Pastor Brett just said, they certainly are not always men. And Naomi and Ruth were just great women of God. So, um, Marty, how do we get started? Because I feel like, because um, we're just going to do a little back and forth here. Um, the, the story of Naomi and Ruth really is a beauty from Ash's story. They went through a whole lot of awful stuff. Um, and God was with them through all of that. So we're going to take you through some of those things. We're going to talk to you about Ruth and Naomi separately and some special traits that they had that we can all pull away. But how do we really get started and how do we relate, Marty, to even as men and women, because this is for men too, to these two ladies? See, we're just acting like we're having coffee up here with friends, and I'm going to pretend like you all are a few of our close friends. Does that work for you, Michelle? Yes. That sounds good. (laughs) Okay, so... Well, you know, the story of Naomi and Ruth, it's really a Cinderella story, an old-time Cinderella story, because we see two women, as Pastor Brett said, that were in horrific situations, and they were both became widows totally unexpectedly, as that always happens that way. And, you know, in that day and age, widows were uh, just just in a hopeless category. I mean, they couldn't, they didn't have any way to earn a living, and it was a pretty dire state. And so the story opens with them in that situation, Mm -hmm. and uh, it really is a story of just seeing God's hand meet people in that place Mm -hmm. and weave something good out of that. So You know what, Marty, and I I know why you were were giving me like the side eye a second ago. So we we really do need to talk about Boaz. Um, And so I'm so sorry I misunderstood when you were like, Michelle, finish the story. So um, that was my job. Um, so, Pastor Brett kind of got everything started telling you all that, you know, they were widows, and, and that was dangerous for them at that time, um, and it was scary. And so, Naomi actually looked at her daughter-in-laws at that time and said, you know what, I, I just need to go back to Bethlehem. I've got to go back home. I can't stay in this foreign country any longer. I need to go back and be with my people. And she looked at her daughter-in-laws. And she cared for them deeply, obviously. And she looked at them and said, why don't you go back? Go back to your mothers. Go back to your familiar culture where you can possibly find another husband more easily. And for Naomi, that was a really big deal because she would have had to travel to Bethlehem by herself alone. So it was a very selfless, loving thing for her to offer. Now, one of her daughter-in-laws, Orpa, not Oprah, Orpa, (laughs) Orpa, I, I thought I might say Oprah, um, but Orba actually decided to go back to her own mother. But Ruth, but Ruth was so resolute in staying with her mother-in-law that she loved so much. And so the two ladies, Naomi and Ruth, then traveled back to Bethlehem. And so once they arrived there, Naomi went through obviously a rough time. She even met her back with some friends when she got back to Bethlehem and said, you know what, don't even call me Naomi. My name is now Mara, which means bitter. 
You know, we've all been there at some point in our lives. And so you can understand why she even felt that way. And so she was going through a rough time. Obviously, Ruth was going through a rough time. She was now happy with this new God that she knew so well, but she was also learning a new culture. That she decided she would help them provisionally because they obviously were destitute at this time. And she said, okay, Naomi, I'm going to go glean in the fields. And so it was in the culture at that time, it was required for landowners to leave the corners of the fields open for the poor. So the poor could come and they could pick some of this grain and be able to take it home for them. Isn't that neat? Wish we did that today. And so Ruth went and did that. She humbled herself to do it. It was hard work. And while she was there, she was noticed by Boaz, who was a wealthy landowner. And so he noticed her, um, was a little smitten, I'll admit. It seems pretty clear he was a little smitten with her. Um, and he actually, he told his servants to watch over her. He fed her a meal. He even had his servants purposely drop some grain for her to pick up, which is cute. How romantic. And I know, right. Aww. And and so um, and so when Ruth actually went home and told Naomi what had happened, Naomi was super excited, and she said, "Ruth, you don't understand because you you don't know him and you don't understand our culture, but Boaz is actually a relative of ours, and he can actually be what's called a kinsman redeemer. And in the culture at that time, a a relative could actually marry a widow, and it would help. Um, it would help them continue the family line. It would help them reclaim property." It, and obviously provision as well. And so this was a very big deal that God worked all this out for them. So Naomi gave, gave her some instructions to go lay at Boaz's feet, which was another cultural thing that we can talk about. But um, she laid at his feet to kind of let him know that she was asking him to be her kinsman redeemer. And with him, he was such a great man of character and being smitten. He clearly said yes. And so it was it's such an amazing story that is romantic too uh, but behind the scenes to see how God made just made it all work out and took those ashes and made something beautiful of their life the best part of the story though that a lot of people I think kind of miss um, and it's a big deal is that Ruth and Boaz um, had a son and his son's name was Obed and Obed had a son, and his name was Jesse. And Jesse's son ended up being King David. And we all, a lot of Christians will recognize that. So who's in the lineage of King David? Jesus. So God used this Moabite woman, a woman from a foreign country, a woman that grew up in a culture that worshiped other little G gods that had human sacrifice. He brought her through all of this and gave her Naomi to show her how living out faith was and show her the one true God and brought about an amazing thing. So in the end, like, think about that. If God can use a Moabite woman, can't he use us? Absolutely. Yeah. So. So, okay. So now. So we jump right in? Let's jump in. All right. Let's jump in. Let's do it. Okay. We're kind of on, we're, we're on the fly here this morning, aren't we, Michelle? <laughs> So as we think about Naomi and Ruth, I mean, their lives really had impact. I mean, they were women um, that really lived out what they believed. Um, they were gutsy women. You know, they took a lot of risks, and they jumped right in. And so um, let's just go ahead and jump in ourselves, and let's just take a look at Naomi first. Let's do it. You want okay. to? Yeah, sure. Okay. 
So if you want to follow on your outlines, feel free to. And if not, that's fine, too. Um, the story here is really gonna, not going to be a lot of facts. It's more heart issues that I'm praying each one of us grab hold of and that God can use today. But let's just take a little bit, uh, spend a little time looking at Naomi. And we see through this whole story that Naomi led a very impactful life. Uh, her life spoke volumes. And you may know women like that. Maybe you're a woman like that yourself, that your life has a lot to say and people around you really catch it and they really catch what you're all about. And that's what kind of happened here between Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. So let's talk, Michelle, a little bit about what Naomi was like. And first of all, we, as we were kind of going through this over the last couple of weeks, we really felt like Naomi was a woman of real faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, she really lived out what she believed in some powerful ways. And I think, you know, probably there's not a lot said about her faith, especially in the beginning of the book of Ruth, but we get the idea, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that she lived out her faith in the trenches of life, and we see that because uh, it really impacted her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And, you know, it's been said before um, that faith is caught more than taught, usually. And I, I like to teach the Word, and I kind of come from that perspective, but I really think teaching's important, but we really are so impacted when we're around someone that lives it out, mm -hmm. and we kind of catch it, you know? It, that happens a lot in families, in relationships, um, and it happened with Naomi and with Ruth. And so we look, I just want to take a second and just look at Ruth's life and see the reality of her faith. Um, first of all, just a couple things real fast, and we're going to pull up a couple of scriptures here, but Ruth clearly had a very bold faith, and she acted on what she believes, what she believed. And like I said earlier, it was a very gutsy faith. She left everything to follow Naomi and her God. And so Ruth uh, 1, verse 16, if we want to pull that up. Yeah, there we go. Ruth, and this is probably one of the most famous sections of the book of Ruth. Ruth said to Naomi, as, we, as Michelle mentioned, and it says, uh, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my God. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So Ruth was like all in, 100%. She left everything, her culture, her people, everything to follow Naomi and to lay hold of Naomi's God. So clearly, Naomi's faith deeply impacted Ruth, and Ruth had a very bold faith. And, you know, as we all know, faith without works is nothing. You know, it really comes down to how it impacts our lives. So Ruth's faith was bold, but it was also a very obvious faith, for lack of a better way to say that. Everybody around her knew that she, her faith was the real deal. In chapter 2, um, and this is a little conversation between Boaz and Ruth, verses 11 and 12. If, have we got that one? Maybe a little before that. Is, okay. is it up in the back? Okay. Okay. It's different up there. Okay. Uh, Boaz said to Ruth, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. So he'd heard all about Ruth's story. And then he says this, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. And this is the clincher, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Mm -hmm. 
so uh, Boaz and everybody knew that Ruth was trusting in God. Her faith was obvious. So and the bottom line is Naomi was what I would call good advertising for the kingdom, right? She really lived out her faith, and Ruth caught it. And, you know, Michelle, both of these women, they really remind me of my mother-in-law, their yeah. relationship. And I just want to take a second and share a little bit about Paul's mother, who's in heaven now. But she was so amazing. And like Ruth, her faith was bold and obvious to everyone who knew her. She, but at the same time, she was a woman full of joy and of laughter. And when she would laugh, you know, I still can hear her. She would get so tickled over a joke, and her laughter would just fill the room. And she was a southern lady. She'd say, oh, mercy. And then she'd just be laughing, and we'd all join in with her. So she was a very joyful woman. Uh, but, you know, it's what we do when no one is around that really defines who we are and what we believe. And Paul, Paul's mom lived that out so very well. Like Naomi, she deeply impacted everybody that knew her. But I need to tell a little bit of the backstory in order to emphasize just how incredible she really was. You really it's, do. It's <laughs> powerful. Please do. Oh, especially to me personally. And so, as many of y'all know, I married into our family. Uh, tragically, Paul's first wife had died of breast cancer just seven days after her 37th birthday. Uh, when we were married, he had four children. He had three girls, and their ages were five, nine, and 11, and then a son, age 14. Um, I was 25 at the time. So as you can imagine, the trauma of what they had been through was intense. It was really like a tornado had just ripped through the Holcomb family. And as newlyweds, Paul and I faced the huge task of trying to move the family forward in healing ways. But notwithstanding that, there was much joy surrounding our marriage. I'll never forget uh, when we told the three girls that we were going to get married, they started jumping up and down all around me, and they started exclaiming, can we call you mom? Can we call you mom? <laughs> of course, I was 25, and I'm thinking, well, sure, you know, that works. <laughs> but it was sweet, but it was also gut-wrenching at the same time. They were just so ready, you know, to receive, to have, to have a mom. Um, so it was truly on-the-job training for me, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, prior to meeting Paul, I was a critical care nurse, and I loved my job. I mean, I loved the whole medical world. I loved the knowledge of it. I loved the ministry part of it, connecting with families and all of that. But, um, and I also had my own apartment. And just a couple of things about my apartment that were noteworthy. Uh, one, as Paul would remember, the refrigerator was basically empty. Like I had a little half and half in there for my coffee. And that's about it. And one, you know, if those of you who know Paul, he loves desserts. And one time after we were going out a little bit, he came over and said, so do you have anything here for dessert? And I'm like, dessert? Well, there's some Fred Stripes maybe in the pantry. I mean, there was just nothing. Um, and I don't think I ever turned the oven on or the stove on one time. Now, this wasn't because I didn't have means. It was just because I would always grab a salad or whatever and bring it home, and I just never cooked. And so shortly after we were engaged, I remember Paul looking at me with this intense look, and I thought, you know, do I have spinach in my teeth, or what is this about? And he said, I, I can't believe I'm in love with a nurse who can't cook. <laughs> I said, well, I can't believe I'm in love with a lawyer with four kids. So we're kind of even on that, right? But in, in the midst of all the crazy, my mother-in-law was such a beacon of hope mm -hmm. and faith. In spite of my deep inexperience, 
She never missed the opportunity to lavish me with praise and with encouragement, you know, just telling me how grateful she was that God brought me into the family um, and just affirming me in my role as wife and as mom. She truly was a walking book of Philippians, full of the joy and the reality of God in the hidden places of her life as well as when she was in public. And I'm telling you, when Margaret Holcomb prayed, you knew you were in the presence of a very real God who moved mountains. And to this day, our kids still tell stories of grandmother's love and her laughter, of her faith and of her strength. She truly was a gift in every way. A lot like Naomi, she was a woman of faith who dip, deeply impacted all of us. Oh, I think that is. And I think we all need a beacon like that, whether it be a parent or someone that is a dear friend, um, someone that is just that that pillar of faith Absolutely. for you to be able to um, and hold your arms up, yep. just to hold your arms up sometime sure. when you need it. And I think that is such a really great thing. I'm so glad you shared that. She's so humble. She's, it's hard to get her to share like that sometimes. <laughs> um, I also think, though, that Naomi had um, a lot of impact because she was a person of great courage. Um, I'll be real. My husband and I have been together since we were 15 years old, so I'm not really quite sure how to do life without him. And if he had picked me up and moved me to a foreign crazy country and then died on me, I would, like, I would have a whole lot of need for the Holy Spirit to cattle prod me to get me out of bed. It would just be really hard for me. Yeah, for sure. And so I can't imagine. I mean, can you imagine being in a foreign country as a widow with a culture that different from your own where they even had human sacrifices? And so she had to be a woman of courage to be able to keep her faith the way she did through all of that. Now, they were tough, tough times. And I also think when you have courage, it also means that you're selfless. And, you know, we, I know we talk about superheroes and all that, and we've laughed about that. But, you know, most of the superheroes we watch on TV are selfless. They do these things to help others. And Naomi had that kind of courage. That is the kind of courage, the selflessness, in my opinion, that really does impact others more than you just being, you know, brave and yielding the sword. If you're selfless, it's impactful. And so Ruth 1.8, it says, But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back. Each of you return to your mother's house. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to the dead and to me. So that was her selflessness right there. For her to have to travel back to Bethlehem alone would have been really scary among a lot of other emotions that she would have felt. She had great concern for her daughter-in-laws and knew it would be better for them if they stayed back. So I just think that's really special. In Philippians 2.4, I love what it says. It says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Naomi did that. Your mother-in-law did that. And I think that is really special. It is self-sacrificial. And in our culture right now, we tend to be um, way too self-aware about what's going on in our own little circle. So we tend to just flee. We will think of ourselves first. We self-preserve. And so it's not even in our nature without the help of the Holy Spirit to be selfless. It really isn't. And so Naomi could not have done that um, unless she was a woman of great faith. Now, Marty, you know how big I am about things being real? So I'm all about being real. I'm all about people being authentic. And my absolute favorite thing about Naomi 
is that she was authentic. She was real. Mm -hmm. She was the mm -hmm. real deal. She was a woman of authenticity, and we see that in how she handled pain. Now, it's not a model for us. If we, you know, and I don't know if we mentioned, if you haven't read the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters, and so maybe later on today, just you know, skim through it because there's so many great things in there, mm -hmm. and you'll see she was real when it came to handling this crisis. She was open about her pain. She didn't try to pretend that she was in a different place than she was or that she was someone that she wasn't. Um, she was real. She was, I would say she was raw and real. Yeah. She told her friends, like Michelle mentioned earlier, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. This is when she gets back to Israel, but call me Mara. Mm -hmm. You know, can you imagine naming your child Mara, which means bitter? But she said, call me bitter because my life is really bitter right now and there's not much hope there. And, you know, as much as we recoil against trials, uh, the difficulties of life are actually opportunities for the reality of our faith to shine through, even in the midst of our rawness and our realness with how we handle the heartache of it. There are real times, and probably many of you can look back in your own lives and see some of those toughest moments were opportunities where others were drawn in because they saw you walk through them and they saw your faith really shine. And it reminds me of a verse that I'm sure is familiar to most of us or many of us, of 1 Peter 1.7. And I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. It says, but these, and it's referring to trials, of course. It says, but these only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes. For even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. So the father's after, you know, the real deal in us, um, real people with a deep faith, a gutsy, authentic faith. And Naomi really showed that. And as a result, her life had tremendous impact. You know, we, as we've said, she was a woman of faith. Uh, she was a woman of courage. She was a woman of authenticity, among other things. So let's go ahead and turn the page and take a look at Ruth for a little while. Mm -hmm. So Ruth lived what we, what we would call a transformed life. She was deeply impacted by Naomi, and it totally changed her life, as we've already talked about. I mean, the direction, everything in her life was a result of Naomi, I think it's safe to say, kind of assuming here, but of a Naomi's walk and her faith and her impact. So although Ruth was born into that god godless culture, she learned from Naomi. She followed her example and instruction in the ways and the purposes of God. She was deeply impacted. Mm -hmm. So let's just check out a few of her qualities. Yeah, yeah. and I, I love I love how, um, and this is why I love Naomi so much, because we've talked about, because what we've talked about, the, that she was such a beacon, and Ruth caught that, and it truly did uh, transform her life. She knew, by the time she got back to Bethlehem, she knew her one true God. And I think that's so special that Naomi was, be able, was able to just transform her life in that way. So my favorite, um, well, I guess I keep saying favorite, so I should stop saying that, but one of my um, favorite qualities about, about Ruth was that she really had a devoted heart. Like, Ruth was steadfast. She was resolute. She was, I'm going to put my head down and get the work done kind of girl, and that is my kind of person. I think that a lot of us know people like that, or you're like that, and it's, um, it is a great quality that I wish more people had, especially young people these days. It is something that I think that um, will, it will take us places. 
just let me put it that way. It will definitely take us places, and it took Ruth. Um, it took Ruth far. I did look up the definition of devotion, and it is love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. So Ruth gave such a heartfelt, devoted pledge, and you mentioned that just a few minutes ago in Ruth 1, 16 and 17. We'll put it back up for you. Um, the reason why is I added that second verse. You can just go on to 17, guys. I'm sorry, um, because I don't want to be too repetitive. But let me tell you, for Ruth to stand in Moab and look at her mother-in-law who was getting ready to leave and say, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die and be buried. That was such a steadfast. She was not going to be turned back. And I think that is so, so special. And this was not the easiest route, as we talked about. It would have been a whole lot easier for her to take an easier route and to just gone back to her mother, but she didn't. And God uses that big. He uses it big. So I wanted to take the opportunity. We had kind of chatted about it and we thought, okay, wouldn't it be really cool if like we knew someone younger than us that we could bring up and kind of ask her a couple of questions about um, someone that really has shown her um, devotion and um, walked out their faith. So I want to bring up Miss Cassie, wherever she is. Cassie Arnold, come forward, please. Her last name is Arnold. She's not going to talk about me. I'm not her mother. Okay, everybody thinks we're related. We're not. I wish. That would be great. All right, girl. Are you good sitting right there? I don't know how to, yeah, I don't know how to do that. All right, good. All right. <laughs> I was hoping when you came up, you knew how to do that. Check. There she is. Check. Here okay. I am. Okay. So, Cassie, um, I know that you, a lot of folks don't know you, um, but let me just tell you, when you get a chance to meet Cassie, you, you automatically know that she has had people in her life that has impacted her faith. You don't just come out like this, right? And so <laughs> it'd be nice, but you just don't come out like this. And so um, that's why I immediately thought about you. Even though I haven't even known you that long, it is something that when people meet you, they know. They just know there's some special people in your life. So I wanted you just to share. Tell, tell us, we're kind of winging this, um, tell us, just pick one person, it's probably going to be your mama, and that's good, um, that has really impacted you, and tell me why. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about my mama. Uh, um, so growing up, mom was always super full of joy all the time. She always inspired me mm -hmm. to stay joyful, which comes from the Lord ultimately. But I remember growing up every single day before school, we had this saying, and it's really, really long, but we'd say, okay, Cassie, what day are you going to have? And I would say, a happy, joyful, blessed, happy, fun, exciting day. Like all these words oh, that awesome. would just fit, however many words I could fit in. So we'd say that. And my entire life, I've carried that with me because of my mom, because she showed me what living with faith and joy looked like. Oh, that is amazing. So did you ever see your mom go, now don't overshare. I, I don't want you to share something um, that you haven't approved. But I am sure, I'll just state it like this, I'm sure that you watched your mother go through some difficult times. How, what, did, what did you take away from that? Because I know when we get to see someone that we admire and love walk out their faith, sorry, maybe I should have you for this. I just thought of it. Um, so what did you learn from her when you saw her go through something that was a little difficult? What did you see from your mom? And it can be a quality. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be a grand explanation. It can be the number one quality that you saw from your mother when she went through something hard. So I think just thinking back right now, something that I remember 
is whenever mom would go through something hard, she might express it for a second because that's healthy to express our emotions, mm-hmm. you know. But she would always say, but you know what? God's in control. God's in control. Mm. And that was, yeah, right. that steadfast faith. So do you find yourself repeating your mama? Yes. Oh, I love it. <laughs> because, you know, I bet at one point in your life you said you didn't want to repeat your mama, but you're repeating <laughs> your mama now. That's right. That's right. Well, I, I, Cassie and I were laughing earlier. We were kind of um, chatting a little bit about um, possibly what we are going to talk about. And I told her, I said, I really uh, think of your mama as a, a faith ninja. And, um, and I mean that and with the most respect, I promise. But she is so this quiet, powerful faith person. And, um, and I see that in you. You're not as quiet as her, right? No, not as quiet as her. That's, a good, that's okay. That's a good thing. Um, but I, I think it's just a really special quality that you have been able to become the person you are. I'm not trying to make your head big. But you have become the person you are and serve God the way you do. It's really special. I got to watch you worship really for the first time today. And it's so evident. And I just think it's really special. It's really special. So thank you for sharing. I really appreciate it. Love you, Mom. Is she crying? I just love her. And she's so stinking cute. Okay, so I do, since we just talked about a mama, I just want to take just a second and uh, speak to the mamas that are here today. And it doesn't mean you have to be, like, biologically a mama. You can be a mama of your nieces. Um, But we, as mothers, are fighting against a really crazy culture right now, right? And um, it's very, it's very, to me, personally, it's, it's very daunting. But what I get from this and what I get from Naomi and Ruth is that you should never, ever, ever doubt what it does to see faith walked out in front of your kids. You may not think they're watching. You may not think they're listening. But they are. Your ceiling will become your kid's floor, just like we've just talked about. That will be their floor. So when we can just stand up and just be as strong as we possibly can, which requires the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to do it by ourselves. It will, it will have an impact like we've seen in this story and like we've just seen talking to Cassie about her mom. So, so true, I just wanted Michelle. to make sure that so I, I said that. Yeah. So um, I did, I did want to read a pretty long scripture, but I just love it. And then it's um, out of the message, which I think is extra, and I'm kind of extra, so it fits. First uh, Peter 4, verses 8 through 10. I just love this. It says, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way, God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get all in on this credit as the one mighty in everything. And then it says, encores in the end. Oh, yes, that's the extra part. I really like that. But um, I just think that is just a special thing to remember about um, devotion. And along with a devoted heart, I feel like it goes right in to how humble um, Ruth was, which is really important as well. Absolutely, Michelle. I loved everything that you shared, especially the 
the word to mama bears out here. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the, the humble heart. Ruth had such a humble heart. And that's another quality that we don't see a lot in our culture. And if we see it, it's usually not, um, not affirmed. But Ruth really walked in humility. And her humility was seen in a couple of ways. And just real quickly, in chapter 2, she took initiative. I think Michelle touched on this too. She took initiative to provide for she and Naomi. I mean, they needed some sort of means, and so she offered. It wasn't like she waited to be, you know, dragged off. Would you please get out there and do this? She offered uh, willingly to glean, and and that gleaning that Michelle described earlier, it was servant's work. It was difficult. It was mundane. There was nothing uh, glamorous about it at all. It was tough, and Ruth just jumped right in, she did what needed to be done, and she did it diligently with her whole heart. Another way we see her humility is that she thoroughly followed Naomi's instructions, um, as Michelle touched on, regarding Boaz. And if you read the book, you know, it's kind of unusual. You're like, what, what was she doing? But it was, it was all legitimate. It was all above boards. It was Jewish custom, and it was, it was the protocol. But as a Moabite young girl, it had to have sounded so strange to her. And you don't see her bucking against Naomi. She just did everything Naomi said, and she followed her instructions thoroughly. Uh, and then lastly, when Boaz shows Ruth favor, as Michelle mentioned, and he, she kind of caught his eye, and he began to treat her extremely well and give her the extra grain and all of that, you know, we see Ruth, instead of like, oh, of course you would do that with a proud or arrogant heart, she was totally just stunned and overwhelmed. She wasn't expecting that kind of treatment at all. And you know, how we handle promotion and favor is really significant. It really is another thing uh, that reveals the quality of our hearts. So Ruth walked in total humility. Uh, it reminds me of, again, a familiar verse, James 4.10, and it says in the new, uh, this is the New Living Translation, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. I think some translations say he will lift you up in due season. So God's timing is not always our timing, but when we walk in humility, it does not escape the notice of, of the Father. And he sees that, he delights in that, and he will honor us in his way, in his timing, uh, in incredible ways. And that was evident in Ruth's life for sure. Another great humility verse that uh, probably most of you all know is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And that's where Paul tells us that we're to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And then he describes the humility of our Savior. And it, it reads in the New Living, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I mean, it doesn't get much more humble than that. And he's, he is our, he's our model, more than our model, but he shows us the way and the attitude to, to have in, as we negotiate, as we navigate our way through this world. So the importance of humility uh, can't be overstated. Ruth had a humble heart, and as a result, God honored her and elevated her beyond her wildest dreams. Mm. So what else, Michelle? 
about well, Ruth. And I know I said it before, but you're one of the most humble people I know. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it is. It's such a special um, thing to have a friend that's <laughs> that is as humble because it really reminds you. It does. It reminds you a lot of um, how you want to be. And so anyway, I just wanted to tell you that one more time. So um, I really love that Ruth is, has, she has a steadfast heart. And I mentioned it just a few minutes ago that how she really put her head down and all of those kind of things. And I feel like uh, that's a really special, special, special quality that she had. But I want us to remember, because we can, like, glaze over that really quickly. Um, and we can even describe our friends this way or a parent this way. But when you really put yourselves in someone's shoes, it can really remind you about emotion. So let's, let's just think about Ruth for a minute. Like, she had lost her husband, so she had to be sad, right? She was a widow. Like, that's, that's a really scary thing. She had a mother-in-law who needed her. They needed provision. They were destitute at this point. There's a lot of anxiety in trying to figure out how you're going to feed yourself and your mother-in-law as a widow at that time. Um, her future was uncertain, right? Um, she had a lot of pressure on her. And honestly, I would have been, I mean, let's just be real. I'd have been like, okay, did I deserve this? Like, holy cow. Like, I, I lost my father-in-law. Now I've lost my husband. My sister's gone back to mama. But I love her. I, I know this is what I need to do. But there would be a sense of anger. And, you know, God knows you're angry, so you might as well tell him, right? But we don't see her even be angry. I think that's amazing. And then even in the culture at that time, for a woman to have a son was everything. So here she was, a young woman with no children, much less she didn't have a son. So there would have been a sense of worthlessness, I imagine, that she would have. But here's the deal. We don't read that. When you go back tonight, I really want everybody to go back and read this whole story. It's only a total of like 85 verses. But she doesn't say any of these things. These are just things we can kind of infer because it just would make sense. So Ruth never expressed sadness and never expressed uncertainty, all these things. That, is, that just rocks my world. I don't even know how that's possible, but it is possible with God's help, right? And she had seen this lived out with Naomi. It's just amazing. In Proverbs 4, 25 through 27, it says, Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And that's what she did. That is what she did, and she was so steadfast in that. So I have a new puppy. Got to tell you a story. We have a picture. Okay. I never happened to bring a picture. So I'm just going to let y'all, you know, say awe and make my point for me. So this is Nala. Nala means queen. Just saying. So um, she's super cute, and I absolutely love her, and she doesn't sleep well. That's right. Um, we don't need a peanut gallery today, babe, um, but all of my friends who know me know that I specialize in making adorable animals rotten at my house, right? Absolutely, yes. no doubt about um, it. She has one, too. His name is Rocco, but um, Nala is 45 pounds. She is four months old. She has teeth and drool and doesn't sleep, but I just love her. Um, and so if I, if I at this point just let myself 
look at that dog and make decisions based on the emotions that come over me. I mean, like, literally, I look at her, and I'm like, I could just smell it on the floor, right? I would get nothing done, right? I'd probably not have a job because all I'd do is be like, oh, okay, baby, let's just play puppy all day, okay? I'd have no furniture because she would have eaten it all. Um, I would probably be single because Rob would divorce me. Um, So... So my point is, because I got to put a puppy up there, and I think that's cute, but my really my point is we, we really can learn from Ruth in not letting our emotions control everything. And that is not, that is not an easy thing. Um, I am I'm a really emotional person, as you can probably tell. I cry every Tuesday morning at intercessory prayer. True story. Every Tuesday morning. That's true. Um, but it's true. It is. But if emotions are not a bad thing, I'm not saying they're a bad thing. I think they're a great thing. But we cannot let them take over what we know God's working on in us. We pay attention to those emotions, but we cannot let them control decisions. Um, and so, okay, you, you just got to take her down or I'm not going to be able to focus. She's cute. Bye, Nala. Oh, my word. So anyway, okay. So now that I got off focus because of my puppy, Marty, um, okay, so we've got these examples. Shell, I just love you. I gotta throw that in. <laughs> I love you too. Much. <laughs> okay, so we've got these examples. So, how do we live a life that matters? At this, I mean, we've got these examples, but what do we do next? Right, right. So yeah, let's t- let's we uh, wanted to end up in the third section here. Just some, what are some takeaways mm-hmm. that we can apply in our own lives? We've talked about some of them throughout this whole thing, but. What can we learn from Ruth and Naomi, and how can we live lives that really count for something, you know, both now and eternally? So we want to live in light of eternity, and we want to, we want to have impact in those around us, positive impact. So a couple of things. Uh, one of the things that I take away uh, from all that we've talked about this morning is the importance of relationships, of prioritizing re- relationships in our lives. And, you know, relationships matter. They shape us. They influence us. Who we hang around is really significant. And we kind of become like the people that we have in our close circle, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start being more like Michelle <laughs> and like <laughs> I'm teasing. Well, I have in some good ways I have already. Yeah. Like I'm up here on stage. That's because of you. Yeah. So she's already influencing me. But anyway, who we hang around is important. And, you know, uh, as we all know, the most important relationship in our lives needs to be the vertical one with the Father, right? And our top priority needs to be pursuing intimacy with him through the Holy Spirit living within us. And then I really feel like from, from that relationship, all of the other relationships in our lives should stem. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, it's, it's like really – Asking the Father, you know, who would you have me invest in? Lead me in my friendships and guide me and show me. Take me to the people that that you want me to learn from and that I can impact as well. So uh, here's just a couple of things as I think about relationships, a a couple practical things that may not be um, a newsflash to anybody, but maybe just encourage us along these ways. Uh, The first thing in relationships that I feel is important is, like, to be wise with our relationships, you know, to aim to develop healthy relationships. And, of course, that's just a whole other topic that mm-hmm. we can't get into today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Holy Spirit, show me how healthy are my relationships and what can I do to improve my relationships. 
Uh, so be wise. And secondly, I try it myself, like be surrendered, you know, to the Holy Spirit, as I touched on earlier, asking to, for guidance. Who, you know, we all have acquaintances, but like, you know, Father, show me who you want to be my closer friends. I mean, who, and of course that changes from time to time, but he brings people in and out of our lives for purposes, right? And so we want to be sensitive to that. Um, another thing I think about relationships is that is to encourage all of us to, to be the ones that take initiative and to reach out to one another. And it's, we all have that in our culture here at Legacy, trying to build the body up, you know, the body of believers up and to reach out to each other and to take initiative. So that's super important, mm -hmm, I think. Mm -hmm. um, another part of relationships I think is important is, uh, you know, we have fun and a blast with relationships, and we've, we've had so much fun preparing this. It's been kind of crazy. but So relationships are really fun, but also on a deeper level, we want to be looking to pour into one another, right? Like I want to see what I can contribute to Michelle, how I can – encourage her, and then what I can, I'll use a Ruth word, glean from her life, right? What I can pull from her life. So that's important, a two-way building each other up. And then the last thing, you know, our favorite word, you know, to keep it real in relationships, yeah. authentic yeah. and genuine, mm -hmm. and be open and honest with each other. Yeah. So that's a couple things about, I think relationships are just huge, yeah. and, and set and them as a priority. Right, and as we're, I love how you talk about those people that you choose are important, and be led in that, you know, it's that whole thing we all of our mamas tell our kids at some point, which is show me your five friends that you spend the most time with, and I'll show you your future. Right, but I mean that is that's such a true statement. I mean, it it really is, and um and and those five friends that we always want for the people we love in our lives are people who have character, right? And so I think character counts so very much. Do we ever really want to hang around people who don't have integrity and are selfless? We want we want to be around people who think of others first. It's that whole fruit of the a spirit thing that we talked about earlier. Um, it's so, so important. Pastor Brett even talked about the fruit of spirit a lot last week. Um, in Ruth 3.11, it, um, I love it because it talks about Boaz, and he speaks of Ruth in this way. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character, and we all would love to be described that way. Now, somebody we all know that has character is Pastor Brett, right? We all love Pastor Brett, right? He's awesome. Um, I love his um, dad jokes. I love his Louisiana accent. That's not how you say Louisiana. You're supposed to say it. Louisiana. I can't even do it. I love his hunting stories, right? That's Pastor so Brett could stand up here and he could quote scripture and teach me the Bible all day long. But if I didn't know his heart and didn't know he had great character, I wouldn't believe a word he said, right? And so that's, is, that's why character is just so, so important. Um, and, and then, of course, the trust that we have, the trust we have in God absolutely. that helps us with that character. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's our last thing is that it is important. We see through these two women that trusting God is basic. It's important. It's our foundation because he's faithful, right? We know he's faithful. We know his character based on the word of God. And so as a result of God's faithfulness, our lives have purpose, right? They have purpose, they have impact, and they have hope. And hope is just so important, especially during those, those challenging times that we all go through from time to time. 
And, you know, Michelle, we live in a fallen world um, mm -hmm. where stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes just really bad stuff happens. Mm -hmm. You know, we're tooling along and we're walking with God and just stuff happens. And mm -hmm. we have to face it and get through it with God's strength and God's help, those deep and uh, painful seasons of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so clearly, uh, Ruth and Naomi, they, they went there. They were there. And they were strong women of courage, of character and of devotion to God, and he powerfully met them through in the midst of their difficulties, transforming their lives from ones of hopelessness and destitution to lives, of overflow, lives that were overflowing with abundance and blessing and just amazing, incredible um, unveiling of his plan for them. Mm -hmm. And their story really reminds us that, that God is real. I mean, he, he's, he's real. He loves us with a passion. And he never, he's promised to never leave us. He will never leave us, even in the darkest of times. And it reminds me also that as we follow him, and that's critical, as we lay our lives down, as we yield, which I know is a big word mm -hmm. that's been on mm -hmm. your heart lately, Michelle, and mine too, as we yield before him, he works, he specializes in working behind the scenes of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And when it seems like there's no hope, God is at work in ways that we could never even imagine as we follow him. Mm -hmm. It's not, we don't just live any which way and expect that to happen, but it's that full surrender of our lives, you know, where we yield to him and say, come and take my life and live within me, Holy Spirit. I want to do it your way. Then when we walk through the valleys and the depths, he, he does incredible stuff that we could never imagine. So, as our beloved pastor would say, Michelle, how about if we land this airplane girl? Okay. Although he wouldn't say girl, but I'm adding that because it's a... <laughs> he would, yeah, he wouldn't say girl. That doesn't that, sound but like he would want to land the airplane. They may not say girl in Louisiana. I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, so I, um, my humble, humble, amazing friends, Paul and Marty, have, um, gosh, I don't, I'm going to cry, have um, an amazing story. Um, that truly shows uh, God taking ashes and turning them into something beautiful. And so I talked them into letting me interview them. Okay, so I'm going to bring up Paul Holcomb. Where is he? There, here he comes. Hey, and Paul, Cassie put the microphone on this thing, and I don't know how to undo it. Hey, honey. Here, have a seat. Sit right here. Sit right here. You have to push that button right Come there. On. Well, you probably know that. I'm just going to sit right here. Okay, so first of all, um, um, so clearly they need some marriage counseling because it looks like Marty beats them up. <laughs> I'll listen to you. Um, so Pastor Brett's got an appointment with him later today. Um, <laughs> no, he had some eye surgery, and uh, this just bruising. So Marty isn't a, a husband beater. So, I don't think, not that I know of. They haven't shared that with I'm me I'm authentic. Anyway. I'm not. <laughs> you would know it if I were. <laughs> okay, so, um, I so appreciate you letting me do this. Um, and, Paul, I really wanted to start with you because I feel like folks need to hear um, from you so much. Um, so, Marty has kind of touched on, so everybody's aware that you lost your first wife. And it was at a young age, right? You were young, and you had young kids. So can you just tell, tell everybody a little bit about, um, 
I don't want to pry too much. I don't, you don't have to explain exactly how you felt, but I wanted, I wanted you to kind of put it in context because I think for a lot of people, we can't understand what that feels like. There are people in this room who know exactly what it feels like, but very few people, and we can't possibly say we understand and we can't possibly say we empathize. It's just not possible to understand that. So I've, but if, if you could just explain what that was like to, um, to lose her, what that did to you as just a husband, what that felt like. Is this on? There yeah. you go. Okay. So I'm glad Michelle explained about my eye <laughs> because these two are um, very hard to say no to. Um, I never dreamed I'd be sitting up here this morning, uh, but they did not resort to physical violence. <laughs> so there, there is another explanation. Um, but in, in answer to Michelle's question, uh, yes, when uh, my first wife, Francoise, um, went home to be with the Lord after about a two-and-a-half-year noble battle with breast cancer, um, I, I learned what grief really was and uh, went through a very deep, deep time of, of grief in the months following that. Um, I soaked my pillow with tears many a night, so I, I know what that's like. And as Michelle said, I know there are people sitting right here that can totally relate to that. And uh, so, um, but God was faithful. He carried me through that year. Um, my mother, as Marty described her, actually moved into the house with us and uh, helped, helped me with the children. At the time, um, Marty had shared, I guess, the ages, but um, at the actual time of Francois's homecoming, our son, Paul, got my name, was 12 and just about to turn 13. And then our daughter, Chantal, was 10. And our daughter, Sandrine, was uh, 7. And our daughter, Christine, was 3. And so um, yeah, it was quite a, a challenging time to go through that period. But, um, but as I said, God was faithful. And, uh, and I had praying parents, and uh, I just sought him, and uh, I was strengthened by a lot of music that I would listen to, mm -hmm. really uplifting Christian music. Um, and there was even a poem. There were several poems, but one that I've shared before was um, The Weaver that meant so much to me. And I don't know how much you know that, but it says that my, wife is, my life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He, choose, he worketh steadily. Um, the dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Um, wow. It, it's, and, and it says, not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I really believe that. that. That poem meant a lot to me. And anyway... As the year went on, you know, the grief was slowly starting to subside and uh, I came to a point near the end of the, it's been almost a year since Francois's homecoming. And, um, and there was a, a, a member of my Sunday school class, an adult Sunday school class that I was teaching, um, that said, Paul, why don't, you, um, why don't you take a weekend? We've got a, ha a cabin up near Blowing Rock. Take a weekend and just go relax and go skiing. Have you ever skied? I said, no, I've never skied. And, and he said, well, it's no problem. Just take your jeans and spray them. I said, yeah. I don't have any ski clothes or anything. <laughs> so um, I sprayed my jeans and I went up for this weekend. 
and uh, got up the, the next morning and went to this Appalachian ski near Blowing Rock. I don't know, some of you may, may know about that. And uh, I remember um, there was a group from Alabama uh, uh, of people, basically my age, um, and uh, and so I took a group lesson with them, and then we started skiing. And there was a, a very attractive nurse um, that um, we kind of it's connected. It's not her. It's not her. Yeah, okay, she was sorry. from Alabama. Anyway, we kind of connected, and, and I could tell, you know, there was chemistry developing there. And, um, and that was proven when, at the end of the day, she said, well, Paul, why don't you come? We're staying in Boone. And why don't you come and have dinner with us? And so I said, sure. And I went. In the course of the evening, I, I happened to pull out my billfold and show her a picture of my four beautiful children that I was very proud of. Um, <clears throat> and the next day, uh, we went to the ski slopes again. And I could tell um, the chemistry had changed <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> Um, nothing offensive, but um, it just wasn't there, and there was a, a, a coolness in the air besides She had pulled, up, pulled away, right? Yes. What you're saying. Yeah, she, she had. Um, and so I, I went home that night, and all I can say is I went home that night and fell on my face and cried out to God. Um, sobbing would be a better, more descriptive term, but I was just saying, God, who's going to marry me with four children? This is hopeless. I, I have no way. And uh, so I went back home, and it was within like two or three weeks. I think they've used the word with Boaz. Ruth caught his eye. Um, Marty caught my eye. Um, we had been in the same large Methodist evangelical church, um, knew of each other, but didn't know each other. She had worked with our youth pastor and his wife. Um, ministering to the 20-somethings, and I was teaching a, a, a Sunday school class with young married couples and young families, uh, many in their 30s, like I was. Um, and so anyway, um, so within just a short period of time after what I felt were just the, the bottom falling out of my life, um, Marty caught my eye and uh, what would you like to ask, Michelle? Oh, you know I'm burning <laughs> with questions down here. Well, I, I'm so, it's just so, uh, gosh, it's hard to put into words um, what, it, um, what it means, I think, for people to see the rawness of that. And so I know that's not easy to share, but I so appreciate that you, you did that because there is such a rawness that I think that God blesses when we just lay things at the feet of Jesus um, in an authentic, real way, and I, I, he already knows. And so I think it's so special because I think a lot of men especially would struggle with getting on their knees and just crying out to God. And that um, hopeless kind of feeling is, um, it's a real feeling, and he needs to hear that. And you can't heal without him. And, and for him to be able, for that connection would just be um, so important. I think that's just really amazing, Paul. It's just amazing. So, Marty, so I can imagine yes. being 25 years old, um, um, meeting someone that already had four kids, wasn't anywhere on your radar, right? Right. Absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had been, I had dated the same guy for like eight years since I was a junior in high school, and uh, 
long story short, I know we're pretty much at the end of time, but um, looking back on it, uh, there was one point where I felt the Holy Spirit was asking me to break off that relationship, and I thought, well, Lord, this is going to be like cutting off my arm, you know, and we'd, everybody at church, well, when are you guys going to get married? You know how that goes, or can go. So long story short, I I did it, by, I prayed about it for like 10 months, and then I finally did that as gently as I could, and I mean, weeping, the same thing, I was on the bathroom floor, you know, with the story of Abraham and Isaac opened and weeping, like I'm slaying my Isaac, Lord, and there's not a ram in the thicket, but God had dropped in my heart as a teenager that through another kind of funny set of circumstances I won't go into, but he had dropped in my heart that I wanted God's will for my life no matter what. And it was like I didn't know too much spiritually at that time, but I signed up to be God's yes girl. Like, Lord, you know, I don't care what it takes. I don't care how uncomfortable it is. I don't care how far out of my comfort zone I want to follow you in the big things, the small things. I mean, it's I'm laying it out there. You know, it's like, use me and don't let me hold back because I'm uncomfortable or because it's difficult. Mm-hmm. So that was in my heart. And so. Um, and Paul asked you, didn't he Paul ask you what you me. thought about four kids? So, yeah, all that to say. So, long, again, speeding ahead, when we went out for the first time, it was actually a predate date because Paul like booked several things all at once you know (laughs) but um we went out to Pizza Hut for and had a little coat together and so his same thing he pulled out his wallet pulled out that picture of the four children and said so Marty what do you think about the fact that I have four children in typical lawyer fashion you know full disclosure and I said I mean I remember distinctly I said I don't care how many children you have I want God's will for my life and I think that was a good answer in his uh, from his great answer and I wasn't trying to impress you, but it's just, that's, I really believe that. Right. And so then the rest is history. And how long have y'all been married? So 40 years next month. Were you going to say, say 40? You're going to forget? forget? No, January He knows. Not he January, knows. June 4th. Oh. June 4th, 40 right. years. You, you dodged the bullet there. You almost I said did. the wrong month. <laughs> I just, isn't that amazing? Isn't that such, like there's this rawness about what they've been through and that God, just like Marty was saying earlier, God was working behind the scenes this whole time for this family. And I even think about now the impact you have on people even at this church, on me personally. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. So thank you so, so very much. Uh, Pastor Brett, we've landed the airplane. It really was a a beauty from ashes. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Give them a hand clap. Listen, I'm living a real life. I have hurts and pains. I have joy. I have peace. I have struggles. And we're doing this series on heroes of faith. We're about to close it up next week. Those people really lived a real life. They had hurts and pains and struggles, and they missed things just like they did. What I'm asking you, are you going to live your faith? Marty said it. I'm living. uh, They lived their faith. Naomi lived her faith faith. Are you living your faith or do you really believe or not? Because life is real and the Bible's real and it teaches us how to live this life through struggles, through pains. You know, I always talk about the joy of the Lord being our strength, but you know what? I have to use that joy to get through because I struggle and we all do, but we have the Holy Spirit and we have Jesus 
and we have the power of God. Somebody said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask David, what was it like to kill that giant? You know what David's going to say? What was it like to have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you? I didn't have that. God wants to come and live on the inside of you. And there's some of you in here that don't know Jesus. You haven't given your heart to him yet. So I ask everybody to bow their heads just for a moment. We're going to close. Have you accepted Jesus as Lord? You know, you're going to struggle. We all do. But we have a helper, and he's called the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, he comes into your life. If that's you, you need to know Jesus. You need to accept him. Would you just slip your hand up and say, pray with me, Pastor Brett. I need Jesus. I need the help to live in this life. Anybody? All right, then the rest of you, everybody that's a believer, I challenge you to live your faith. Because if you really believe, you're going to live it. You're going to walk it out. That's what the Bible says. Real faith has action. Believers follow. Believers do what God says to do. Father, I thank you for the the great service we've had today. I thank you that uh, the things that the Holy Spirit spoke, that it would penetrate their hearts. Lord, that you draw men to the kingdom of God, that you draw men and women closer to you. And Father, those that don't know you today, that from this point on, Holy Spirit, begin to speak to their heart and draw them to you. I, re I bind all the hurts that the devil has put on people in, in this congregation right now, all the pains that we have, uh, emotional and physical pains, uh, abuses that we've walked through. Uh, we, we rely on you, Jesus, to be our strength and our shield, to be our helper, Lord, to cleanse our hearts from all these pains and abuse. We thank you, Father, for the victory in Jesus' name. Amen.